As we come to you, we ask for your leading, your guidance, and your direction through the Spirit. You taught it, you wrote it, help us to understand it, and most importantly, then help us to go out and live it and always say and do. Thank you for this time of just food and fellowship coming up in the back. Pray it is truly a time of fellowship and just a growth in you as a body of Christ. And we thank you in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 2. We've been building up to this point here in our study through the book of Acts. Just want to remind you of a couple different things, and if you've been with us through the first couple studies in Acts, you've heard me say these things, but it bears repeating so people know and understand the vision that we have. I'm a firm believer of the passage in the book of Proverbs where there is no vision that people perish. I believe that is true for us as individuals. I believe that is true for us as families. I believe that's true for us as a church. Unless you know where you're going, why are you going anywhere? There's a great passage in the book of Corinthians where Paul says, I do not do things with uncertainty. And how often do we just do things in life without knowing what the vision is, the purpose is for it? So part of the reason why we're going through the book of Acts is we're at a spot right now as a church where we want to know what the vision that God has for us is. There's been three things that we've been praying about, and I mentioned these to you the first couple weeks, and I'll mention them here again. Pastor Richard is retiring next spring, so with him retiring next spring, we need to prayerfully consider what does that look like for us as a church. Do we replace uh, the position of Richard, or do we take that and say, okay, with those finances then, we invest more in outreach, we invest more in ministry, and the body of Christ then can step up and help with the visits, etc. Uh, that's one thing I encourage you to pray about. Another thing we've been praying about is the potential of possibly adding on. There's a lot of uh, spots back in the children's ministry where we need more room, we need more space. And that's something that we've been praying about, and we'd encourage you to pray for that as well, too. We never want to be a church that's focused on the finances or the building, but sometimes there's the needs that come out of that, and we just need to make sure those needs are being met. And third, there's a group that has a real heart uh, over in Signet. You know, we've been doing small group studies over there for a year. Lots of seeds have been planted, and there's a group over there that feels like the Lord may have something more in store, more permanent. So we've been praying about that as well. So with those things being said, that's what we have been praying about. What is the vision for that? And we thought, let's go through the book of Acts and really study out what this looks like as a church to know the vision. Now, one of the things I've also been saying the last couple weeks, and I just want to remind you of this, is that imagine you were going through the book of Acts, and imagine that this, this is all you knew. You have never been to what we call church before. So you only had the Gospels, the book of Acts, and the Epistles. And you were going to build a church off of simply what the Bible said. Would what we're doing right now look like that? Or would we stop and look at these passages and say... Wait a second, maybe things are supposed to be a little bit different than what we normally do. So much mentality of church is focused on the one service. You know, for us, it's the 10 o'clock Sunday morning. It's like, yeah, the 8.30, those people don't matter. No one even thinks about them. Who gets up that early? Wednesday night, I didn't even know we had Wednesday night church. Who goes to church twice in a week? It's the Sunday morning at 10. That's all that matters. And we judge everything off the Sunday morning at 10. Well, no, wait a second. There is ministry going on literally every day of the week. And this is one part of a ministry. This may have more people than the other services, but it's not the focus. And what you see here going through this passage, especially this morning, verses 40 through 47, you see such a focus on the daily, daily walk in relationship with the Lord. So keep these things in the back of your mind as we're going through this and be open To what the Lord is leading you as an individual, what the Lord is leading you as a family, what the Lord is leading us as a church to stop and say, Lord, you wrote this. Now let's apply this. 
With that being said, let's read verses 40 through 47 and come back and break this down. Verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That is what we're looking for. I remember as a very young believer being told Acts 2.42 is the key to understanding church vision and ministry. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Think about this. Just put all these passages together. God is not trying to make this complicated. He said in Matthew 28, go. And he asked you to do three things. Make disciples, baptize people, and teach them to observe all that I commanded. So Jesus told us that in Matthew 28. Go make disciples, teach them, and then baptize them. And then what you see in the book of Acts, he says, now I'm going to give you the power to do this. This is the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. They'll go be my witnesses. And then what you see here now in Acts chapter 2, what does that look like daily? Well, this is what it looks like daily. So now let's break this down. First thing you see back in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be safe from this perverse generation. Interesting words there, testify and exhort. The word testify, it means to warn. It's very solemn, a solemn witness. We have fun, I hope. I hope we laugh. I hope we enjoy church. I think of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want us to enjoy being here. I love it. But there's also a seriousness to what we do. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about souls spending forever in heaven or hell. So much of our own life is not focused on the eternal. We we allow a situation at work to dictate our joy. We allow relationships to dictate our peace. We allow health situations, financial situations. We allow all these things to control us when really Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he said, it is finished. And that's where our joy and peace come from. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important. They're very important. But most of them are not eternally important. And so what we have here is there is a seriousness to what we do dealing with eternity. And the next thing you see is exhort them. To encourage them. It literally means come alongside them. I think it's wonderful to encourage with a call, with a text, with a card. Amen. Please keep doing that. But this word is saying even one step further. You see that person struggling, you say, let's get together. Let's come alongside each other and have a oneness. Remember our word that we've been talking about in the book of Acts, one accord. Let's have a oneness together and help each other through. Now, I want to remind you, and I'm going to say this a few times this morning. When we go through this passage, there's a lot of taking you out of your comfort zone. I'm not going to push you to do it. I'm not. That doesn't do any good. I will take you to the line of your comfort zone. I will show you what's on the other side of that line. Then when you're not looking, I will push you as hard as I can. (laughs) I want you to want to go deeper. I want you to want more. I can't make you want that, and I can't push you to do it. As I like to see out here a lot, I heard a pastor say, our job is to equip, not whip. But I want you to want more. And when you start seeing words like encourage, I'm okay with encouragement. 
I'll encourage you on a Sunday morning for a few minutes. I'll encourage you. I could even do the call, maybe a text or a card. But this idea of now literally coming together and, and, and this oneness aspect, that's, that's starting to get a little strange. Because we value our independence. We value our pride. We value our strength. And I don't let you see weakness. What it really means is we value faking it. Because we all have issues. We all have problems. We're all struggling. Some of us are just better at faking it. And what you really see here in this chapter, especially in these passages, is letting your guard down and saying, if I really want to be involved in ministry and going deeper, here's what it looks like. And can I do that? That idea of oneness. And now they start saying this. Verse 41, they gladly received his word and they were baptized. Baptized. we got a baptism coming up September 10th. Over at Bill and Shirley Jones' house outside of Dashler, if you're interested in getting baptized, please come see me. Get some information in your hands. If you've already been baptized, I encourage you to just come on out and support those that are. It's a wonderful time of just worship and fellowship and just a brief teaching on baptism and to encourage these people as they go through it. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. They have, they have made that inward decision to follow Christ. Now, the problem is when somebody says, I got saved, you don't see anything change right away. So baptism is a way to outwardly show the world, I am different. It's very symbolic. As you go into the water, it represents being washed, being made clean. As you go under the water, it represents this idea of dying. Coming out of the water shows a newness of life. And Pastor Rich always likes to add another element. You look like a drowned rat. It teaches you humbleness. Now, as you're coming out of the water looking like a drowned rat... People are also going to clap and cheer for you because they're so excited for you. And they will pray for you and say, I am so proud of you taking this step publicly for the Lord. When you look in the New Testament especially, there is this focus on they get saved and get baptized so quick. Because you've got to remember, back then, if you say you became a Christian, this is huge. You're leaving behind the Jewish faith. You're leaving behind a pagan Roman faith. You wanted to show the world as soon as you possibly could, I am a different person. That's why it was such a big deal to them. And you see baptism being so vital right there. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And now we get to verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Such a simple, simple verse. And I encourage you just to keep looking at that verse, praying over that verse, and saying, what does that look like for me as an individual? What does that look like for us as a family? And what does that look like for us as a church? Please remember this point that I said earlier. If you had never been in a church service before and you were reading through the book of Acts and you came to that, you would stop and say, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue steadfastly. That word, devoted, constantly, diligently. Not just a Sunday morning thing, not a 10-minute devotional in the morning, but a spiritual mindset that we have all day. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And what does that look like? I, I've shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating it was right after I took over out here. So it was back in 2000. I was, I was 22 years old, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I got a phone call from a guy that lived over on uh, the other side of Akron. And he was kind of interested a little bit in Calvary Chapel. You know, that's what we're kind of affiliated with. And so he was looking at Calvary Chapels online. And he was trying to find one out in the country because he pastored a church that was in the country. And most of the Calvaries were Toledo or Lima or Columbus and he goes, he didn't want one with the big city. He wanted one that had a country feel. So he contacted me, and he said, do you care if I come out and spend the day with you just to kind of see how you guys do and what you guys do? Because, you know, 
we just want to see what we can learn from this. You know, you're a country church, we're a country church. And he really had a heart for things to be different. So I said, sure, come on out. And I had only been a pastor for like a month or two. And I thought, I hope this guy knows what he's getting into. I even told him, I said, when I meet you at the door, please note I'm not the pastor's son. I'm actually, I'm actually the pastor. I want to make sure you know that. So he shows up. He's probably, you know, close to 60 years old. And we sit down and my office used to be up there. And we start going through stuff. And he said, can I see your, your budget? And I said, well, we really don't have a budget. I said, we have these financial statements that we hand out for accountability. He goes, so you guys like don't have this much set aside for this much set aside? I said, no, the way we kind of do it is if there's a need that pops up, we pray about it. Lord, what's, what do you want us to do? You know, you're going to provide the finances. We don't have to worry about that. And so that kind of threw him for a loop. Then he said, can I see the bulletin? And I showed him the bulletin. And um, I remember him saying, goes, this bulletin is really not that impressive. And I was thinking at the time, I'm the one making the bulletin because we don't, we don't, I'm the one doing it. I said, that's what we do. And then he goes, so what, what do you guys do? What's your vision? And I took him to Acts 2.42 and I said, this is all I know. Is that we're supposed to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking bread and prayers. And I'm not making this story up, I promise. We're sitting in there, I'm 22, he's almost 60, he looks at me and he just starts bawling. And I'm thinking, he probably thought, I drove three hours for this. And what happens then is he opens up his heart and he says, that's what I want. That's all I want our church to do. And he was coming out of a church that didn't want change. Just make us comfortable. Just show us up, show up, pat us on the back for being here. Come visit us when we need it. And he goes, there's more. And I said, I, I said there is. And I said, that's what I love about this. Is what would happen if we just did this. Because this is not weird, folks. This is, not, this is biblical. Now, the problem is we're so used to just showing up. And I'm not, not trying to pick on me because I'm really happy you're here. And I mean that sincerely. You have no idea how happy I am to see you. But, but here's the catch. I don't want you to be happy and content where you are spiritually. I want you to grow. I want you to go deeper. I want you to want more. I want you to see that line of comfortability and in faith take a step over it and say, Lord, you're not going to lead me any place that's going to put me in harm because even if something happens to me, I'm in your perfect will and I have eternity waiting for me and, and I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. We spend so much time and energy in this world making ourselves as comfortable as we possibly can, be it at home, be it at church, be it at work. And what would happen if the Lord says, that's not the goal? The goal is to go make disciples, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. Go be witnesses, to take your family deeper spiritually. Not just be another middle-of-the-road Christian. We have a lot of those. But what happened if there was another level of saying, Lord, we want more? And what would happen if it's as simple as saying, let's just do this? So what is it? First thing you see in verse 42 Continuing steadfastly, as I mentioned earlier, devoted, constantly diligent, not just a Sunday morning thing, a spiritual mindset all day. There's a reason why Paul said, never stop praying. He didn't mean that you would literally be on your knees all day. He means that you have a mindset if you're thinking about the things of the Lord all day. So much of our time and energy is spent thinking about us. I can't wait to get home from work to do what I want to do. Can't wait for the weekend. I have two days off to do what I want to do. We always have a project we want to do. We always have something to accomplish. Those things may not be in and of itself bad, but what about the eternal mindset of something more than just us? If you constantly keep feeding you, you may be happy, according to the world, but spiritually you're not everything that the Lord wants you to be. And dare I say, you may even be spiritually miserable. We just started the book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night, and that's a man who has everything the world could offer, and he's spiritually miserable. 
So continue steadfastly. In what? The apostles' doctrine. That's a simple one. God's Word. You're in the Word. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize to spend time in the Word. Read on a regular basis. Not legalistically, not a have to, but I just want to learn. I just want to grow. And as I read these books that I've read before, some of them I have taught two, three, four, five times, I always find something new. And I find something applicable to what I'm going through, and I find myself sharing with other people, this is what it is. There's very few things in this world that you get the guarantee that does not return void. God's word does not return void. You are promised that if you go into God's word with an open heart and say, Lord, speak, it will be fruitful. That's a guarantee. Why would we not want to invest in that on a regular basis? There's a blessing that comes out of it. I'm not asking you to go home tonight and read the entire book of Ezekiel. But what I am asking you to do is to make a regular scheduled time of being in the word with the Lord. It is not a have to, it's a want to. It's not a legalistic, it's a desire. Because I know people that have regular devotions. And their devotions are that, just very regular. I read it, I check it off, I move on. No, Lord, this is my fuel for the day. This is how I learn what your will is. This is how I learn what my life is supposed to be. I want to be steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, God's word. If that is something that interests you and you're struggling with that, I have three different devotionals I can give you. And if you don't like the first one, return it. I will give you the second one. If you don't like the second one, return it. I'll give you the third one. If you don't like the third one, then obviously you don't love Jesus. I don't know what else to say. But I will give... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have devotionals that I can give you to try to attempt. And, and I hope it's something that starts your day that then you start finding out, wait a second, I, I, I could even read a little bit in the evenings. I could read at night. I could read with my spouse. I could read with my kids. I could read with my coworkers. And then, and this is not weird. This is continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And you may not be ready for that at this moment, but I'm going to plant the thought in your mind about it. And then let the Holy Spirit just keep working. What about the next one? Fellowship. First time this word is used in the, in the Bible is fellowship right here in this Greek word. Now, here's the problem with this word. Some of us don't like this word. Because we equate fellowship as hanging out. We got together. We're believers. We watched a game together, nothing impure. We watched a movie together, nothing impure. We went shopping together, nothing impure. We had fellowship. You didn't. You hung out. This word carries a much, much deeper meaning. This word for fellowship there means to share and to contribute. So therefore, when you have fellowship with the believer, you are sharing in their life. You are contributing to their life. You are talking about the things of the Lord on how we can encourage one another. How can I pray for you? What's the Lord doing in your life? It's the same word for communion. So we just had communion last Sunday. That is fellowship with the idea of Jesus dying on the cross. I don't think you would ever stop and talk about communion as, hey, I hung out with Jesus. No, there's something deeper going on there. A oneness with each other. This is tough. Because we don't want people to see the real us. We want them to see the persona that we present. We walk in like everything's fine. And that's what I want you to see. Parents, do not do that. You're getting ready. I got five boys. Before we go in someplace, Dawn does a quick look at them. And she's like, guys, you didn't wash your face. So she's licking hands, and does anybody have any water? And we're splashing water, and we're making ourselves look really good. Because that's the persona we want you to see. We do this again as parents. We say things like this. Listen, I cannot have you act that way there tomorrow at the potluck. You're going to sit. You may act this way 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at home, but when you're in public, you're going to act different. 
What are we teaching them? Put on the fake, put on the basana. That's what we do. Our world is falling apart spiritually. But we walk in here as loud, proud, tall Christians. We're faking. To truly have fellowship with somebody, you're going to get involved in their lives. You're going to realize what they're struggling with and you're going to pray for it. And sometimes it's going to get ugly. You're going to then let them get involved in your life and say, would you pray for me with this? And and, and I'm telling you, it's going to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And as I said earlier, some of us don't want that. I really just want to show up on Sundays and present my family, present myself, and then leave. And I'll see you next Sunday. I'm encouraging you to take that one step further. I encourage you today, if you stick around for the potluck after church, to realize there is going to be conversations about sports and school. And, oh, what a beautiful day. I know. Isn't it a beautiful day? It's been a great summer. I mean, we're going to have these conversations. I get that. But what would happen is if we also then turned it spiritual and say, hey, what's the Lord doing in your life? You know, the other day I was reading in this, and it just really, really blew me away. Hey, guess what? I want to share real quick what the Lord did for me. Hey, how can I pray for you this week? And maybe you pray right then. Let's get past hanging out with other believers and taking it to a level of fellowship of something more. Because that's what the biblical word really means. It just blows my mind that sometimes as believers, we can spend hours with another believer. Hours. Shopping, game, whatever. We get home and we realize, well, it's not that we were opposed to the things of the Lord. We did mention God, but there was really not a depth to it. How are they doing spiritually? Well, I think they're doing okay. They didn't say anything was wrong. It says in the book of Malachi in chapter 3, as I've mentioned to you before, the Lord has something called a book of remembrance where he listens in on our conversations and he writes down the things that we say about him. Isn't that a fascinating when you think about it, that when you're traveling someplace with somebody, God's listening in and he's saying, hey, are you talking about me? Are you talking about eternity? Are you talking about my return? Are you talking about... And you may think, that that's really awkward. That's not the relationship I have with people. That's not the relationship I have with my spouse. And the thing is, we kind of are drawn to people about the same spiritual level we are. Because they don't really rock our world. What would happen if in your sphere of influence, your group, you're the one that would stop and say, how's it going spiritually? What can I pray for? What's the vision God has given you? Because I want us all to go deeper in the Lord. It's amazing how, especially in spouses, we can have such a oneness in so much area, but the spiritual oneness becomes awkward. This is the fellowship that he's asking us to do. And this is something that we've been going to give you some opportunities with. Here's a good time to stop and and kind of plug a couple things. Apostles, Doctrine, and Fellowship. Uh, Starting here, I believe, in mid to late September, uh, Pastor Rich is going to start up discipleship classes again. And if you're interested in that, he's going to be doing it Sunday morning. Um, Also, John Haney is going to be starting up some discipleship classes as well, too. There are going to be two different classes. If you're interested in that, keep your ears open. They're going to be starting up in September. We're going to be starting up small group studies again, probably in October. Great opportunity. Last year we did it, I think, in uh, Hamler, Deschler, Signet, Holgate. I kind of lose track of where we all did it, if you feel led to get involved with those. And I've had some families come up to me and say, can we have the small groups go longer? So we're praying about having some of the small groups go a longer time to really build some more fellowship and to really build some more closeness right there. And if you want to even go, I don't want to say go deeper because I don't mean it that way, but if you want something even maybe more intense, uh, Dawn and I are more than willing to meet with you individually throughout the week. We've got a couple that we've been doing discipleship with for about the last nine months. We try to get together weekly and just really share what the Lord's doing in our lives and really say, 
Let's live it. Let's just not talk about it. Let's live it. And so if you want even that, Dawn and I will we'll, we'll make our schedules work. Let's get together because let's do this house to house. That's what they're talking about. Once again, if we only had this, wouldn't we probably do church just a little bit differently? So we, we covered continued staff lastly, apostles, doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. Breaking of bread means two different things. In the New Testament, it's used for communion, and it's also used for meals. Both. I, I'm telling you right now, there's a blessing of sharing a meal with somebody. There really is. When you sit down and share a meal with somebody, you are sharing that oneness with them. And it's just you and them. That sounds awkward, doesn't it? But that's where you really get to know people. There's been times over the years that I've been asking guys, let's get together, let's grab a pie, let's get a meal. And they just keep saying, no, no, no. (laughs) One time one of them finally came up to me and said, it just seems weird. Two guys in a restaurant, just them. I'm like, I'm not going to go hug you, you know, in the middle of it. It's just we're going to, there's this oneness and fellowship. I joke about this, but think about this. When Jesus rose from the dead, what did he do? He made breakfast for the disciples. There's something about that idea of food and that meal that kind of comes along with that. I encourage you to do that as you go back for the potluck. Some of you moms are thinking, I don't have to make lunch. Amen. I agree. But what would happen if there's also a time of oneness? Saying, I really want to encourage you to go deeper in the Lord. I really do. Other word that it means there, it means communion. That idea of breaking your bread. That's what it's used for this concept of uh, communion as well. And I want to encourage you with communion. Like I said, we just did communion last Sunday, so we do it corporately as a church. I want to throw this out there for you. You can do communion whenever the Lord leads you. I was thinking about communion, and I'm not saying this to elevate our family, because my family, we struggle with our own issues. We, we do communion as a family. Um, we do communion sometimes in small groups. We've had communion before board meetings. We've had communion when we do discipleship with people. The Bible just keeps it really clear. Do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes my family just wants to remember what the Lord has done. So let's do communion. So sometimes we do it, like I said, before board meetings, discipleship, small groups. You could do communion by yourself. It's a wonderful time for just you and the Lord. It doesn't have to be this corporate thing where people say certain prayers, whatever. If you're saying, okay, I'm not ready for that yet. I get that. But can I just tell you how simple it is? I use 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. When I do communion at home with the boys, we have these cups that we bought, I think, last year after Thanksgiving. And they have a really ugly turkey on the side. And so we just line the cups up. I buy the great value grape juice, put a little bit at the bottom. I go through the cupboard and I look for a cracker. And we do communion because it's a time of remembrance. And it is a blessing for our family. It's a blessing for me. And I would encourage you to prayerfully consider that as an individual, as a family, what have you. And you may be thinking, there is no way I could do that. It sounds weird, doesn't it? It sounds awkward. But I want to tell you this, men, prayerfully consider leading yourself as an individual and your family that way. And wives, if your husband comes home one day and decides he's going to try to do communion, I'll just support it. Just support it. You see it, individuals, please remember when it comes to communion, don't let it become common. Don't let it be, oh, wow, we got juice and a cracker. Nope. Nope. We're talking about Jesus' death and resurrection right there. And don't let it become legalistic, that we do the communion the third Sunday of the month this way and that way. No, we do it as the Spirit leads, and when the Lord leads in your life, I encourage you to do it. But it was such a common thing for them. When I say common, I don't mean common in the sense of spiritually common, but it happens so normally for them. It was part of what they did. And lastly, in prayer. 
You know, Wednesday night we finished our study and we had a group of prayer up here and we're going to do the same thing again today as where the body of Christ can come together and we're going to pray. So when we close out the song there, they're going to close it out. And if anybody wants to pray, come on up here and we'll pray. This is what we're supposed to do. The body of Christ come together. And I love it. Like Wednesday night after prayer, these people would come up and lift up this prayer request. And what would happen, we'd pray over them and I would see them after church then talking to each other, exchanging phone numbers. And it's like, wow, there's ministry going on. Because you start realizing, guess what? I'm not the only one struggling spiritually. I'm not the only one struggling in my marriage. I'm not the only one struggling with my kids. I'm not the only one having moments of doubt because of my health. I'm not the only one financially where it's tough. You start realizing we're together. There's a oneness that happens with that. So you see this happening in verse 42, continuing steadfastly. Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. And when that happens, the result, verse 43, fear. That doesn't seem like a really good result. You have to understand what the biblical word fear means. Some of your translations say all. It means a hearty respect, a healthy respect. And when you really stop and you say, Lord, I'm going to do these things, it opens the door for the Lord to move in ways that you can't imagine. So if you really want the Lord to move in your life, verse 43, you got to go back to verse 42 and say, am I continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer? A lot of times I have people come up to me and say, I don't see the Lord doing things. Are you opening the door for the Lord to do things? If you basically say, Lord, I want you to move... And my tiny little circle that I feel comfortable in. You may not give him any opportunities. But when you broaden your circle of comfortability and say, Lord, I'm open. Do what you want. Then all of a sudden you see the Lord doing things that you just, you, you can't even imagine. And the Lord is just then opening doors and opportunities. And you realize, wow. I'm just going to tell you this from a personal experience. This is my personal testimony. When I really reached a point of saying, Lord, it's not about the here and now, it's about eternity. It's one of the most freeing things I've ever had spiritually. I got saved back in 1993. That's when I got saved. That's when my ticket got punched to go to heaven for all of eternity through what Christ did. But it took me a while to really give everything over to him. And I'm still giving things over to him. But when I finally stopped and said, Lord, it's not about the here and now. There is this freedom in realizing life can just happen and it's okay. Because if God is sovereign, I don't have to worry about everything. I'm just going to represent Jesus and what I do and what I say. And it was so freeing. So fear came upon every soul. The Lord moves. Verse 44, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. I think we can skip verses 44 and 45. I don't think we need to talk about that. Because that's really taking it to a level that we're not really used to. So now here's the problem with verses 44 and 45. I've heard people teach this before. Where they say, well, that really didn't work out for the church. They tried that. It was temporary. And they'll usually go quote Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira coming in and lying about what they gave and then them dying. And they usually say this is just a temporary thing because what was going on was these uh, disciples, they were getting saved. They couldn't go back to their homes because of... Um, you know, once again, they were no longer Jews. They were no longer pagans. So they literally had nothing. They make it temporary. The problem with that is this. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, If any of you asks for anything, to give it to them. Not asking for anything in return. So Jesus set the bar already in the Gospels. If any of you asks for anything, if anybody comes to you and asks for it, you're supposed to give it to them. 
That we see it here in Acts chapter 2. We see it repeated in Acts chapter 4. And then John, back in 1 John chapter 3, which was written years later, he says true Christianity is that if you see somebody in the world that has a need and you choose not to help them, how can the love of God abide in you? So this is a temporary thing. Jesus already seems to be mentioning it. John seems to be mentioning it later on. It's repeated again in Acts chapter 4. The problem is this. What's the definition of a need? See, if you see anybody in need, what's the definition of a need? Because I've gone into certain households that told me that they have major needs. And they say, can you come over? So I come over, and they start telling me all the needs they have, be it financial or physical. And as they're telling me the needs they have, I look around their house. And I'm thinking, I think you just need a budget. I think you just need to maybe make better financial decisions because I see a lot of purchases that I don't think, for me personally, fall under the category of need. Now, that's not a point that we like to hear an awful lot, but there's some truth to that. Now, I've also been over to people's houses that they had needs. And Lord, we want to help meet those needs. So, you know, what do we do here? Usually when it comes to giving stuff in verses 44 and 45, we give of our surplus. And I hesitate to give specific examples because I've learned over the 20 years of teaching, if I give, I can't even say the word, specific examples, specific people get offended because that example hits too close to home. But so often when we give surplus, it's because I just got a brand new A, B, or C so I can get rid of my old A, B, and C. Look how giving and loving I am. Well, what would happen if you just give away your A, B, or C and you don't have a brand new one yet? Because you really stopped and say, this person has a greater need than I do. What would happen if you'd stop and say, it's not about spending money on me to make myself comfortable. My goodness, folks, you know it, I know it. We spend so much time, energy, and resources making our little home our kingdom. And maybe we're supposed to be investing in the eternal kingdom. And really looking around and saying, do these people have needs? And I'm using the biblical word of needs, folks. Be careful when you get involved in ministry and people start saying, I need this. Wisdom, discernment, spirit-led. But I really look at these verses of 44 and 45, and I see a group of people that say, Hey, this guy just got saved. He's not even allowed to go back home. Now, we don't deal with that up here today. You know, if somebody gets saved and they used to be this part of the denomination, they're usually not kicked out and ignored. But all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I got extra this, or I can get rid of this. Let's go sell this and bless him. Maybe the definition of need is looking past what we consider comfortable, acceptable living in northwest Ohio, and maybe compare it to the rest of the world. Because we're pretty wealthy. we got to move past comfortability. we got to move past what we want. And look at what these verses really are saying. That's a difficult thing to do sometimes. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Breaking from bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There's that phrase again. Continuing daily. This is a daily thing. This is not just a Sunday morning thing. Somebody asked me one time why I get so worked up if I don't see people at church. And I said, it's not because I I want them here just to have their bodies here to make it look like the church is full. No, it bothers me sometimes because some of these individuals I know that may not make it a whole awful lot. I understand sickness pops up. I understand work schedules pop up. I understand life pops up. I get it. But I also know some of these people, the only time they're in worship, prayer, the word, is Sunday morning. 
So therefore, if they don't come to church, they're literally going to go weeks without cracking a Bible open. Weeks without praising the name of Jesus. Weeks without being in prayer. Weeks. And so I see a verse like this, verse 46, continuing daily. I know for some of us, we see that and it's like, yeah, that's a whole nother level. James, just be happy I'm here. And I am happy you're here. But you can be happy and not be spiritually where God wants you to be. I'm not looking for happy people and happy marriages. I'm looking for born-again, saved-on-fire people. Happy people sometimes go to hell. Happy marriages sometimes disintegrate. I'm looking for spirit-filled. And I see it here, continuing daily with one accord. There's that oneness again. You can't get away from that. You can't. And if you want to use excuses like, well, I'm just really not a people person. Well, Jesus says you need to be. I really don't like groups. No, that's why we offer small groups. I'll meet with you one-on-one. You can't get much smaller than that. I'll put a bag over my head. I don't know. We'll meet somewhere. We'll do it. They're meeting in the temple and also from house to house. Please note two different locations. We don't have a temple. That's cultural. And I'm just saying this for simplicity's sake. I'm not trying to make a deeper point here. Maybe for us as we meet with one accord in the church, but we also realize there is that house to house thing. We realize there's more than just this daily Sunday thing. I know life's busy. I know things pop up. I get that. But there's a divine calling to something more. There is a divine calling to something more. We don't need more middle-of-the-road believers. That's not what we want. That's not what the Lord wants. There's more. And look at what they're doing. Breaking bread. They're eating again. And how they're eating with gladness and simplicity of heart. That word simplicity means singleness, single-minded, sincere, same goal, same focus. It is such a joy to me when we have a couple over and you stop and you realize they just love eternity in Christ. And then all of a sudden you're talking. It's like, wow. We're we're not going to get worked up about, oh, I can't believe this guy at work did this. We're not going to get worked up about that. We're not going to get about, we're just going to talk about the Lord and what, what, and and I see that simplicity of heart, the single-mindedness, sincerity. Corinthians talks about the simplicity of Jesus. What a beautiful thing. And what's the result of all this? Verse 47, praising God. Praising God, you may praise Him in song. Sometimes you just praise Him in conversation with others. And you stop and say, Lord, I'm just thankful for what you're doing in this person's life. One of the greatest joys I have is when somebody asks me to pray for something, and you pray for it, you commit to prayer, you pray as a group, you pray as a body, and then you get that text, call, email, whatever, and says, hey, I want to know what the Lord did. You're just like, wow, Lord, I got to have a small part in that. When I say a small part, I don't mean that I influenced it, but I got to see the problem, and I got to see God work in the solution. Oh, what an amazing thing that is. And what happens, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. I'm just telling you as a pastor, I love verse 47. I am so thankful that out here at church there is not a board, there is not a group of people that are pushing any type of attendance goals or we need to do this or that. We firmly do believe that you do Acts 2.42, present the truth, present God's word, let the Spirit lead, God takes care of everything else. It is so freeing to say, let's just open the doors on Sundays and Wednesdays. Whoever shows up, let's just love them. And what a beautiful picture that is when you don't have to carry that burden or that pressure. So how do we finish with this? 
Well, now for the rest of the book of Acts, you see them taking verses 40 through 47 and putting it into practice. You're going to see arguments amongst believers. You're going to see division amongst believers. You're going to see reconciliation. You're going to see fear. You're going to see people quit. You're going to see people martyred. You're going to see all the above. Because that's what a church does. We have fights, we have arguments, but I hope we also have reconciliation. We disagree, but I hope we also stop to look for eternity. Sometimes we suffer, but we give God the glory while we do. And what you're going to see in the book of Acts is a group of people doing this. Please remember as you go through the rest of the book of Acts with us, the Bible makes it clear that these are men and women just like us. Nothing supernatural about them. They have the same nature that we do, the same battles that we do. And it's important for us to realize that. Folks, I don't want us to be just another middle of the road. I want there to be a deep desire for all things of the Lord to grow and go deeper as an individual, as a family, and as a body of Christ. I encourage you just to prayerfully consider, take a look at your spiritual life, and see the lines you've drawn in the sand of saying, Lord, not this. And then be willing to say, okay, Lord, this week I'm going to take one step over it. And just see what God does. Just see what God does. What I want to close with is this. Worship team, if you can come forward here for the final song. Let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, first of all, thank you for the time of uh, food and fellowship in the back. And I pray that truly is that time of food and fellowship, Lord. Really growing with one another in all that we do and say. Go before that in all ways and all things. But for right here, right now, prepare our hearts as you lead us in worship. And just also a time of prayer. To be a body of Christ that's praying. And we give this to you in all ways and all things in your name. Amen. And what we're going to do is this. I'm not going to be back there to shake your hand. I have learned on potluck Sundays, no one wants to shake my hand. You just want to head back. We already thank the Lord for the food. You have my permission. Go back there and tell them you're allowed to eat. So just go back and enjoy. If you want to pray about something, I encourage you stick around. And we're going to have a time of group prayer up here. They're going to lead us in some worship. So after the song's done, come on up here. Now, I always tell you this, and I specifically said this Wednesday. If that seems weird to you, I encourage you to come up. And hang out on the outside for a little bit and just see. Somebody lifts up a prayer request. We usually put them in the middle. I usually like to have the women pray over women and the men over men. We lay hands on them and lay hands on them does not mean aggressive. We lay hands on them in a biblical sense. It's very kind and nice. And we pray for them. And and maybe you're saying, okay, I'm not ready for that. Then just find an excuse to walk by up here. See what it's like. If you've got kids in the back, I know you've got to go. Some of you've got to go help with the potluck. Some of you have to go to work. Some of you have to go do things, I know. But if you have something you want to pray about, let's really take what it says in Acts and put it into practice and be a church that prays for one another, for the Lord to really move in people's lives. So with that being said, we're going to give it over here to Marv for the final song. Once the song is done, Marv will close you out with a word of prayer. And then we're just going to immediately circle up here for those that want to pray. If not, you guys have a good week. God bless. Remember, small groups coming up, the discipleship's coming up. If any of that interests you, lays it on your heart, talk to us. In your name.